You're listening to In the Studio with Michael Card. The session is made possible by our friends with the Christian Standard Bible. Learn about this new translation and the many ways you can enjoy the CSB. Explore online when you visit csbible.com. Thank you for hitting that play button and joining us now here in the studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepard. Michael, great to be with you once again. I can't wait for our listeners to hear what's ahead on the program today. Yeah, we're going to have one of my favorite people, Stephanie Seafelt, who uh, I, I, I uh, minister with at the Cove a lot. She's uh, She is my favorite worship leader, and I think you're going to hear, uh, when you hear her heart, you'll understand why. Yeah. Well, you've been telling us about Stephanie. Yeah. Now we get to hear from her on the podcast here later in yes. this edition. So uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, I have a Facebook comment here, but I want to explain that, of course, most of our listeners understand we have a mixture of what we call classic episodes and new episodes of this podcast. This is a new one that we're yeah. we're 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 here now, right? You're you're here at the moment, Mike. I think. Right? I think I'm here. Well, hold on, okay. let me check. Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> And uh, you are a classic as well. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> that in, means in the... old, right? That means old. <laughs> in the day, uh, Denny Denson was with us. Now, Denny's yeah. with the Lord now and has been for many years. Oh. You were very close to Denny. But oh, we had I that... miss him. I know. We had that program with Denny recently. So keep that in mind as Blair sends us this comment via Facebook. I've always treasured about this ministry, you all do, is that the focus is always unifying and so focused on walking with the Lord who gives us himself. Anyway... Hearing what Denny had said lightened a load from my heart. Wow. I will be replaying this. Wow. Thanks to all of you for the original broadcast and for all you do to present these podcasts. Thanks be to God. Indeed. Thank you, Blair. Yeah, and you were saying a minute ago that that what Denny said, people just don't say anything. People don't talk like that anymore. Yeah, Joe, our producer, was talking to us about that before we started recording today, and it's true. So, you want you might want to go back and listen to that episode with Denny Denson. I, if you yeah. missed it, you're certainly going to want to hear that. But yeah. thank you, Blair, for the comment. Um, in addition to hearing from Stephanie today, we're going to hear Michael's teaching from the Cove, the motif of misunderstanding. And our featured resource is the CSB Adorned Bible. Remember, we talked with Terry Glasby about uh, Doré, the artist whose work is in this Bible. Yeah, and it really is a beautiful. I mean, the CSB people. I know the translation is great. I mean, that, and that should be our focus. But let me tell you, in terms of the editions they put out, the covers, I mean, even the leather, it's the, it's the nicest binding I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> they really do beautiful work. Makes you want to pick it up and read it, doesn't it? It does. It does. So look for the CSB Adorned Bible. We'll have more to say about it uh, during our time together and coming up here in the studio with Michael Card. Now, we're going to continue our series, Walk with Jesus, that was recorded when you taught at the Cove, the Billy Graham Conference Center in Asheville, beautiful Asheville, North Carolina. Yes. But before we hear your teaching, we're going to hear this song, which was also recorded at a different conference. This was recorded at a Biblical Imagination Conference. Tell me about King in a Cattle Trough. Well, it's just, uh, it's about the wonderful contrast of of Christmas, that you have this King, um, Jesus, who is born uh, of all places in a cattle trough, and that really is what a man—a manger is a fancy King James ver- word for trough, <laughs> which is uh, where they lay Jesus. And as I've, I've gone to Israel, I've come to understand 
that in, in Jesus' day, it was just an indentation in the ground. Yeah. It's not even a wooden, there's no wood for things like a manger or even a trough. They would just cut, dig a hole in the ground and put the feet in there. And that's probably where Jesus, as an infant, was laid. And it's, uh, it is staggering to think of that. Well, let's listen to the song and then let's listen to your teaching. Motif of Misunderstanding, Matthew chapter 3, chapter 11, and John chapter 6 as coming up. How do you capture the accents of angels? How do you put words to the taste of their light? You cannot describe how their words burn right through you How you became dizzy with heart-pounding fright In the midst of your fear, how they sang you a song To the glory of God the Most High all of the sudden that when they departed that they left a hole in the sky How do you worship a king in a cattle trough when you cannot bow any lower than he And what kind of gifts to give someone with nothing In humiliating humility Wrapped up in rags, what a heartbreaking sign Yet on his sweet face, what delight the darkness that prowls here cannot comprehend this impossibly bright point of light. So everyone listened in awe and amazement to all we've been told about this beautiful boy. But Mary, his mother, she wordlessly wondered and pondered her treasure of joy. Who could conceive how a Savior was born in a place only fit for the cattle to feed? His poverty made him our perfect provision, the one hope for our every need. One hope for our every need Okay, let's look at uh, this motif of misunderstanding in some more detail. John uses it. I said, you know, primarily for me, I discovered it reading uh, John, and um, it's, it's striking. Nicodemus, 
doesn't understand. The woman at the well doesn't understand. The disciples question about food in chapter 4. They don't understand. In chapter 8, the Jews don't know where Jesus is going. They're confused about Lazarus' sleep. In 11, Martha's confused when Jesus comforts her about the resurrection. That's also in 11. Uh, God's voice is misunderstood, so even God is misunderstood in chapter 12. Uh, Jesus speaks about the way in chapter 14, and they, they don't understand what he's talking about. The disciples are confused about seeing Jesus again. He talks about that in chapter 16. So here's, here's, a, here's another way to approach it that, that I think is interesting. Let's ask the question, of all the people who knew Jesus, who shouldn't have misunderstood him? Oh, is it, yes? I know, I know. She said, Mary and Joseph were told before he was even born, right? But, yeah, people forget miracles really quickly. Right, okay, here, here's my list. Of all the people that shouldn't have misunderstood, John the Baptist, I mean, he knew who Jesus was in utero. He jumps up and down inside his mother's womb when he gets to, close to Jesus, and Jesus is a zygote at this point. He's just a few cells. Mary has just conceived him. Okay, so John the Baptist, his mother and his brothers, they should not have misunderstood him. The religious leaders, they should have understood who he was, okay? And certainly his disciples should have understood who he was. And so let's look at those, uh, some of those passages. So I want, I want to start with two passages uh, with John the Baptist. Um, and this is Matthew 3. Uh, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea. Now, you have that in your mind now. You know what that Judean wilderness looks like. He's, he's on the moon. There's this river that goes through the moon, and he's standing by that river. Okay. Uh, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Um, this is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert. Um, and there, there's a better way to, to um, punctuate this. A voice of one calling comma, in the desert prepare the way for the Lord. That's how that should be translated, or that's a better translation. A voice of one calling, comma, in the desert prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothing, clothing, uh, uh, clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. He comes from the wilderness like Elijah, with the, with the clothes of Elijah, with the diet of Elijah, with the message of Elijah. He is the Elijah who was to come, okay? Um, people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea, and the whole reason of the Jordan, confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And this is this new innovation. Uh, John is called rabbi at one point. He's referred to as rabbi. And his innovation is a baptism of repentance. That's a new thing. Not a baptism of, a proselyte baptism, but a baptism of repentance. That's a new, that's a new innovation. And he is preparing the way for Jesus. How do you prepare the way for Jesus? You make people aware of their sins and that they, they need, they are needy. They need to be forgiven of their sins and have their sins you know, uh, washed away, that sort of thing. So that's how he prepares. And he does a really good job, too, doesn't he, by the way? Um, verse 7, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers. Jesus calls people brood of vipers, too. They're, they're cousins. You know John and Jesus are cousins. So they, that's, that's what they yell at people. Um, you brood of vipers. 
Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. That's the old orthodoxy. John is, and Jesus are preaching a new reality. I tell you that uh, out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. Very prophetic imagery here from Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Again, John doesn't quote the Old Testament. John thinks in the Old Testament. So the axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Those are images from the prophets. I baptize you with water for repentance. There it is. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. Now, we think, I'm, I'm not going to, I used to be dogmatic. I'm not dogmatic about this anymore. But there is a rabbinic teaching that says every task that the slave does for his master will a disciple do for his teacher except one. Now, the rabbis already do that. You can do anything except this one thing. He cannot loosen his sandal because that was seen as being too humiliating. See, in, in, this, in the rabbinic period, the disciples were getting a little too excited about their teachers and almost worshipful about their teachers. And so the rabbis taught, you can do anything for your teacher that a slave does for his master, except you can't loosen his, the thong of his sandal. That's too humiliating. You're sinking too low when you do that. And that, it sounds to me like John is responding to that. John is saying, I'm not even worthy to do that. Right? I'm not even worthy to be a slave. So, uh, uh, and, and you know, there were people worshiping John as the Messiah. Did you know there's still a group of people who worship John as the Messiah? They're called the Mandeans. And get ready for this. There's a group of them in Austin, Texas, worshiping John the Baptist. Yeah. The Mandeans. Yeah. So I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who's more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Mark omits and with fire. I think because he's writing to people who've just experienced the fire in Rome. <laughs> um, this just, I'm trying to figure out why Mark left that out. His uh, winnowing fork is in his hand and he will be clearing his threshing floor. Again, more prophetic imagery. Um, gathering the wheat into its barn and burning up the ch chaff with unquenchable fire. So here, here's the misunderstanding part. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. So John, of all people who should get this, he doesn't understand. But Jesus replied, let it be so now. For it's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And these, by the way, are Jesus' first words in the Gospel of Matthew. Always interesting to find in each gospel what are the, what's the first thing he says. These are his first words. So that's that's the first one. Here quickly is the is uh, the second one. This is Matthew 11. After Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. There it is. John is in prison for preaching against uh, uh, this adulterous marriage that uh, Herod is, has with his brother's wife, Philip. Um, when John heard in prison what Jesus was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? From the lips of the person who leapt in his mother's womb. And what has happened? 
Jesus has failed to meet his expectations. Do you think John ever thought he was going to die in prison with his head chopped off and given to a dancing girl? He didn't think that's where his life was going to end up. And, uh, and I think that's Jesus fails to meet people's expectations. Not because there's anything wrong with Jesus, but because our expectations are wrong, right? So, uh, so even John's expectations uh, are he fails to meet. Or should we look for someone else? And then they, they, they report that to Jesus. And, you know, John is, you know, sort of casting doubts on Jesus, on Jesus but Jesus says all these beautiful, encouraging things about John, um, that he was the Elijah who was to come and that sort of thing. So there's John the Baptist. He misunderstood Jesus. This is Jesus' uh, mother. We, we, we read this yesterday, and I'll just read it quickly. This is Mark 3. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. Remember that. Uh, when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. So his family don't understand who he is. Next verse. And the teachers of the law who came from Jerusalem said, He's possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He's driving out demons. So John the Baptist doesn't understand him. His family doesn't understand him. The religious leaders uh, don't understand him. Uh, and here, here's, a, here's a place where his disciples uh, don't, who should have understood him, uh, don't. This is John 6. I'm going to skip down. Uh, this is where Jesus starts talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, which is a shift in the ministry. Uh, John will tell us from that point on, many of his disciples said, that's a hard saying. We can't, we can't accept that. And that many of his disciples leave after he says that. Yeah, let me, I'll, I'll start. This is six. I'll start down in uh, 35. Then Jesus declared, I, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, You've seen me and still you don't believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven. That's a theme in John, the ascending, descending motif. Jesus is the bread that comes down from heaven. No one has come down from heaven, has gone up into heaven. It's a, it's a theme for John. For I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. That's how he says God in, in, uh, in John. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of all that he has given me. It's very important that he says that because he's about to lose some of them. <laughs> right? I, uh, that apparently weren't, I've, I've, I'm not going to lose any that have been given to me. So apparently these guys haven't, you know, weren't, weren't given to him because they, uh, they leave. And later in, 20, in, in 1028, he's going to say, no one can pluck you out of my hand. So this, this isn't supposed to scare you. This is supposed to encourage you. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. At this, the Jews began to murmur, and it's the same word that's used in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament of the Jews murmuring in the wilderness, the Israelites murmuring in the wilderness. At this, the Jews began to murmur against him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? whose father and mother we know, how can he now say I came down from heaven? Stop murmuring among yourselves, Jesus answered. And he repeats it again. No one can uh, come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. I love what Bonhoeffer said. Bonhoeffer said the call of God makes everything possible. Right? The call of God makes everything possible. 
and I will raise him up again at the last day. That's the second time he said that. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Amen, amen. He who believes has everlasting life. I'm the bread of life. Your forefathers ate manna in the desert, yet they died. Here's the better than motif. Living bread is better than. Uh, they, they ate manna and they died. You eat this bread, you'll never die. You know, uh, God provides water in the wilderness. You drink this water, you'll, you'll live forever. Okay. Um, but here's bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread. He's getting closer and closer to this idea. I'm the living bread. Um, this idea that you have to eat my flesh. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If a man eats this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh that I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply amongst themselves. These are people that don't even eat pork, right? These are kosher Jews. And this guy's talking about eating his flesh. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat, and he just makes it worse. <laughs> he doesn't stop and say, well, let me explain that. I don't really mean, you know, literally, I mean, I'm going to give my flesh, but so whatever you, don't be offended, whatever you do. That's not how he deals with these kind of uh, situations. I tell you the truth, amen, amen, unless you eat the son of man and drink his blood, how much worse could you make it? You have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Okay, it can't get any worse. Yes, it can get worse. <laughs> For my flesh, unless you're a Pharisee, you're thinking, well, he must be speaking symbolically. This is some kind of a symbol he's using. What does he say? My flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. So... Uh, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so, no, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Our forefathers ate manna and they died. But he who, he, who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while he was teaching in the synagogue. This is not synagogue talk. Right, But he said this when he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. I showed you the foundations of that synagogue that Jesus would have been in. And here it is. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard saying. Who can accept it? And that's a question that expects the answer. No one can, expect it, can accept it. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you are spiritual. I'm speaking spiritually. This is as close to an explanation as you're going to get. I was speaking spiritually, okay? Uh, yet there are some of you who do not believe. And imagine what this little whisper means. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. Imagine what that was like. Being on the road and knowing, well, there's Judas. He's going to betray me. There's Peter, my best friend. He's going to deny me. And they're all going to flee, right? They're all going to get scared and leave me. Um, 
He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled, has, has enabled him. And my note says, no one possibly could. How could you possibly come to Jesus unless the Father enables you, right? Uh, and here's the, 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 the verse. From that time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So my point is the misunderstood Jesus, um, the, the people who... Who should have, who are least likely to have misunderstood him, John the Baptist, his mother, the religious leaders, and his own disciples. Those are the people that just don't, just don't uh, understand. A sign shall be given. A virgin will conceive. A human baby bearing undiminished. Deity, the glory of the nations, a light for all to see, and hope for all who will embrace his warm reality. This is your part.
meaningful song from Michael that takes us to the halfway point in this podcast. We hope you'll stop by the Michael Carr Music Facebook page and interact with other listeners about what you're hearing. Or reach us directly when you send your comments, song requests, or questions via email. Write to us at inthestudio at michaelcard.com. Again, inthestudio at michaelcard.com. There's much more teaching and insights like what you've heard when you check out Michael's books and music. Explore all that is waiting for you at michaelcard.com. Well, there's more music and conversation coming your way after this message here in the studio with Michael Card. Here's Michael on creativity and the CSB Adorned Bible. I mean, it's almost there's a surprise element to what art does. You see a picture and you're drawn in and you... Um, like one of these Doré images, all of a sudden you're sort of there before you realize what's happened. This month's featured resource is a beautiful edition combining the current CSB translation with classic depictions of Bible events from Gustave Doré's wood engravings. Learn more about the CSB Adorned Bible at csbible.com. When you order, receive a 40% discount on your CSB purchase at Lifeway. Just type card 40 with no spaces for your 40% discount. The CSB Adorned Bible, a great translation with a collection of 200 masterworks to inspire your imagination. Order your copy when you search for CSB Adorned Bible at csbible.com. Mike, before we meet our guest today, I have a listener comment and question. This listener I heard you speak at the Cove and said, what a blessing and a gift. But the question is this, when studying Jeremiah this week with my Bible study group, we were in Jeremiah 8, which talks about Israel worshiping the sun, moon, and stars, verse 2. Is it possible that worshiping nature rather than the Creator is one of the sin bents of Israel rather than worshiping the Creator? More evidence that Israel did not learn from the fall of Jerusalem and the Babylonian exile? Or is it possible that this is a sign that they were making note of the heavens declare from Psalm 19 or Psalm 97. Uh, this listener, Terry, says, many thanks for dedicating your life to God's Word. What a gift to all of us who listen. Well, I, th- I think it's gracious for Terry to give him the benefit of the, the doubt, that thinking <laughs> that they may be worshiping, you know, uh, the heavens declare the glory of God. and uh, uh, They were worshiping according to Psalm 19. I think it's pretty clear that they... Uh, that the, the first thing Terry said was really uh, mm-hmm. accurate, and and the thing is, of course, anytime there's a bent in Israel to do something wrong, we have the same bent. Right. Uh, yeah. And and I was reminded of uh, Paul in Romans one. He says they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served what has been created instead of the Creator. And uh, I think we're all uh, we're all subject to the temp- to, to, to that temptation. All right. Yeah. So yeah. Then- we're more likely worshiping nature than the Creator Himself. Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. We're going to meet Stephanie Seafelt in just a few moments, and you don't want to miss this. But before that, we're going to have Mike sing for us a song recorded in the studio. That's what faith must be. So join us now here in the studio with Michael Card. To hear with my heart, to see with my soul, to be guided by a hand I cannot hold. To trust in a way that I cannot see That's what faith must be 
When the universe fell from his fingertips, he decided he wanted some fellowship. But the man and the woman would not submit, so he made a better way. When the moment was right, he sent his own son, and he opened the way so that everyone could have hope and believe that when time was done, he'd be able to make us one. To hear with my heart, to see with my soul, to be guided by a hand I cannot hold, to trust in a way that I cannot see. That's what faith must be. Now I understand that there is a key. It's Jesus in me, a reality that God is in Christ, and that Christ's in me. That with faith I see what is unseen. To hear with my heart, to see with my soul. To be guided by a hand I cannot hold, to trust in a way that I cannot see—that's what faith must be. That's what faith must be. Well, Michael, you stand by because I'm going to take it right to our guest here, Stephanie Seafeld, and just ask about that song, Stephanie. You chose to hear that song today. I did. I picked that one because I was a college student in the late 1980s and, uh, well, maybe the early 90s. And I think I had held Jesus at arm's length for a real long time, um, growing up in sort of mainline land. And I thought I had faith and I was introduced to Mike's music as a college student at a little church uh, with my buddy Tim playing guitar, sang this song one morning. And I said, what on earth? was this song. And he told me all about Michael Card. And I got mm. the tape back in the day that had this song on it. And I just fixated on the idea that a thing that had been abstract to me actually had flesh on it. And it began, mm. it began to help me understand that that um, the abstract thing could be real. Excellent. You know, it gave, Excellent. It gave some mm. flesh to the idea for me. Well, Mike, let's mm. give this uh, woman a proper introduction. Now, how did the two of you meet? We, we met at working at the Cove together. Uh, Stephanie is my favorite worship leader. In fact, when I teach at the Cove now, I always request that she be the person that, uh, that leads worship because first of all, she picks great songs and she writes great songs, but she, she has this wonderful, um, it's not all about me thing. You know, she, she points away from herself and, uh, something that I'm hyper been hypersensitive to. And so, yeah, Stephanie's my favorite worship leader and one of my favorite people. But uh, yeah, Wonderful. so thanks for thanks for giving us some time. That is a very very dear thing to say, and yeah. I think I've told yeah. you before. If if nineteen year old Stephanie knew you were going to be saying that about her, she would have been catatonic. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for your sweet encouragement. Uh, you're welcome. You're welcome. When did when did music come into your life, Stephanie? You know, I asked for a piano for my sixth birthday. I grew up in wow. a very very unchurched, non musical home. We were we were Christers. We were Christmas and Easter, and. Uh, um, you know, the, I love the Christmas carols and I probably love to sing as a little kid, but asked for that piano out of nowhere. And so I'm convinced that it, the Lord had his hand on my life before I even knew who he was. Well, now you're, you're six years old and you asked for a piano. I did. Yeah. Wow. And got one. 
I well, my parents rented one. They were very wise. They thought, well, let's just let's see how <laughs> let's real this see. thing is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. And I took to it right away. It became like a second language to me. And I had the kind of teachers wow. right away who acknowledged that I had a decent ear. So I was doing yeah. classical stuff, but also playing with you know college rhythm sections as a ten year old and learning how to read charts. Uh, kind of kind of happened. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow. I understand you're an organist and a choir master and all, so you're you're deep into music, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, you know, I have a bachelor of arts in general music, which is that degree that certifies you to to do nothing. So, <laughs> you know, you got to kind of you got to kind of make your way. So, uh church music has been my passion since college and my husband is a is a priest in a um in an episcopal church and so we sort of worship in a highly liturgical, you know, choral-based Anglican tradition. So I'm in my robes and at the organ and conducting the choir every Sunday. Wow. Wow. So you've not only got the music piece, you've got the relational piece that you can deal with the choir. Good for you. I try. I had great mentors who, you know, I accompanied choirs forever. And um, I just think if people uh-huh. if people want to participate in worship, whether or not they're super gifted, you find a way yes. for them to do it. Yeah, amen, amen, amen. Yeah. So yeah. we do we do a lot of that with we have a lot of non music readers, but we we're pretty good at making joyful noises. <laughs> well, uh-huh. Stephanie, we heard Michael's account of you leading worship at the Cove. Uh, give me your account of being there and what's that like, and why was there such a, such a response that I've been hearing about, but wish I had been there now. Oh well, that's so he's so kind, and you are too. Um, I started playing there in 1997, so this is what year 25. Um, I used to work at a church in Milwaukee and Jill and Stuart Briscoe would travel to the Cove regularly and they brought, they brought me along with them to play down there. And then the Cove Mm. kept inviting me back. Yeah. So there's something about a place like that. And Mm. there aren't many places like that. Yeah. Their denominational lines, it's not just that they're crossed, but they sort of disappear. Mm. Yes. You know, we, we come to this place to worship together and I work really hard to sing things that can cross all those boundaries. So there's something familiar for everybody. Mm-hmm. But um, that place is that place is sacred. It, it's I, I think Michael. I don't know if you would say the same, but there's something you go up that mountain road and something changes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I tell the story when you go and stay at the Cove, the 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 uh, the the people who clean your room and make your bed pray for you as they are making your bed. I mean, come on, <laughs> you know. And the people that greet you at the door have been praying for you. They've been praying for you by name before you get there. It's just amazing. It's yeah. a wonderful place to go. And um, yeah. it's feel, it feels like family now because I've been going there for so long. Yeah. But but people seem, there seems to be a hunger when people come there. Uh, I, don't, I don't want this to sound pejorative in any way. But sometimes when the church that they attend, when the music has moved towards the modern and the super contemporary, all for great reasons, there's something about coming back to the simplicity of the songs they grew up with mm-hmm. and, you know, get away from the, no, no worship team, just a girl and a piano. And yes, I'm going to sing some songs and I hope you'll sing them with me is sort of my vibe going into it. And that seems to really connect with people. Well, that's the part that I resonate with. I mean, it, it, there really is, there's no distractions. There's no, yeah, it's just a girl and a piano and these songs that I know. Yeah. That's why I appreciate what you do there. Yeah. I mean, I try yeah. to stretch them a little bit. I try to I try to stretch the older crew to learn some of the best of the new things, but they have to love you first by singing a couple of the hymns that they, <laughs> they treasure too. Yeah. There's a method to my madness. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to ask you about that, Stephanie. I, I sense you've got a lot to teach us here about this. So, I mean, here I am, you know, I'm the guy with the white hair. 
And uh, in many ways, um, although I appreciate much of the contemporary music, I feel like church kind of left me in some ways as well. How do we how do we stay in touch and tolerate each other in our musical tastes in worship? Well, I think there's a couple simple things that some worship leaders could do to make it easier on every generation. Again, this is part of my soapbox, but you know, we we hear these really great worship songs on Christian radio, which we love and sing with in our cars. And we expect our church musicians to be able to translate those into a congregational song. And without a particular set of gifts or a tenor with a certain vocal range and a really great guitar player, you just can't pull that off. So there are some simple ways even just to change the keys of the songs so that the congregation can feel like they're actually doing something Mm. where the, where the men aren't scared off by high notes and the women aren't singing so low that it doesn't sound like they're doing anything. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a way to get people engaged that I think we've left behind when we, when we left the hymnals behind, we lost a little bit of community yeah. engagement, I think. Um, <laughs> but I also think, you know, I think it's incumbent upon people who wish that the music was different than it is to find a way to engage with the way it is, yes. even if that means to take the time to pray for the younger folks around you. Thank you. Who yeah. seem to be connecting yes. really well, you know? That's where I need help. That's where Wayne and I and Joe, that's where we need help. Right, Wayne? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you you are. Abs- we've We've talked about this many times, haven't we? I, I read a, an essay by Wendell Berry once, and, and Wendell Berry said, one of the dumbest questions that you can ask after a church service is, did I like it? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, what do you think about that? Yeah, that's you're, uh, you're asking the wrong, the wrong audience. That's the, yeah. the question's pointed in the wrong direction. Well, I mean, obviously, is, did, did God like it? Right. Yeah. yeah. Was he well-worshipped? Yeah. Uh, somebody... Somebody said to my husband once that they that they loved his sermon. That was a wonderful sermon, and he said that remains to be seen. <laughs> you know, it's it's the impact that we hopefully can measure over time. And uh-huh. you know, when when we gather in worship, you know, I, I had a, I had a great mentor too who said to me once that that the key is to remembering that style is temporary and truth is eternal. Mm. Uh, That's been a mantra for me for low these you know x number of wow. years. Wow. That wow. that if a song is a musical style I don't enjoy, if the lyrics are Christ honoring and you know um, exhortational or aspirational for me as a Christ follower, then it's a song worth singing. Mm. I think you know we we tend to um, throw something out because of the sound of it, and I think mm-hmm. if we can find a way to engage with the text of it in a way that matters, that might change sort of attitudes too. I, I mean, it helps me maybe. Wow. You need to write a book. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) You guys. (laughs) I I fully agree with that idea, Mike. Okay, I will write one or two pages at the front if you'll write the other 200 pages. (laughs) You you two get the book out, and I'll interview you about the book on the radio. How's that? (laughs) There it is. There it is. All right. Okay. (laughs) Okay, uh, Stephanie, I'm sure we have a lot of people listening who participate in, in leading worship or in a worship team at their church. What advice, what direction from your experience would you give them? Uh, make sure that your worship leading and your worship teams are anchored in the scriptures. Uh, we we had a large worship arts community at a at a um, mega church evangelical land where I used to, where I used to lead. I say that in all love. That's not pejorative sure. either. Yeah. Um, and once a month, our Wednesday night rehearsal was given over to a manuscript study of either a chapter in the Gospels or one of Paul's. One of Paul's chapters or something. I just think if you 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 can't you can't separate what we're doing on Sundays from our own personal walk with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the other thing I always tell people is we get these gifted musicians who show up, and they're just looking for a place to play. 
Yeah. This isn't this isn't your place to play. Find a Saturday night gig if you're going to come play here on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, you're not gigging. You're not gigging here. You're worshiping, right? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So and you know that the silly way of saying it happens to be true that what we're doing is all about Jesus. It can't be all about the music. It can't be all about um yeah. The performance. It's it's the audience of one man. We're the throne room ushers, and we have the privilege to take people with us. We've got to we've got to have the humility to look at it that way. And you see, Wayne, that's why Stephanie's my favorite worship leader. I get she it. Gets, she gets this. Yeah, she yeah, gets this. I, I understand. Yeah, we need understand. a book. We need a book from you. We need a book from you. You hear me? Okay. Did you hear me? Okay. I hear you. Okay. Uncle Mike wants a book. <laughs> I'll help you. I mean, I'll help. I will. I'll help you. I think it's. I think. You need to write a book about this. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, my friend. Yeah. Thanks be yeah. to God. Stephanie, before we let you go, I, I do want to ask, it's obvious that you spend time in the Word. It's affecting your ministry greatly, but what's what's fresh on your heart right now? Well, what's fresh on my heart these days is the Gospels. I had spent a lot of years leading studies here at our church. I, I love Paul. I love the practicality of the epistles and sort of the rules for Christian life and ways to measure impact. But um, a certain Bible teacher who I lead worship for at the Cove every summer has got me smitten with the Gospels again. Mm. And we just started doing Luke with the women here at our church. And I'm I'm reminded of the importance of watching Jesus, his interactions with ordinary people. And mm. um, I, for so long, I sort of rebelled against the idea uh, and the danger of the idea that Jesus is a good example because that didn't feel like enough. You know, that's mm. he's a good example. But that when you look at that under the umbrella of his lordship, now I'm beginning to see that, well, yeah, he is. And mm. there are things about things about his life and the details of the way that he lived and the way he cared for people and prioritized the broken and the marginalized that have sort of uh, renewed my desire to know him more. Beautiful, mm. beautiful. Mm. And you know, Mike has told you, I'm sure, of his study of the life of Jesus that's uh, his next book, right? Uh, I know. Yeah, yeah, it's very exciting. Our little women's Bible study has been praying for him every time we gather. Wow. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Wow. Well, I just I just ordered a copy of Bonhoeffer's uh, Christ the Center. It got here yesterday. And I want to read that one more time. It, it's it's a wonderful, uh, if you haven't read it, I, I suggest, I mean, I recommend it to you. It's a wonderful book. Stephanie, just as you chose the song that introduced you to our listeners here today, you've chosen the song to end this conversation. I will bring you home. So tell me why. First time I ever saw Michael in concert was at Wausau East High School in Wisconsin in probably 1992 or three. Uh, and in junior high, you were in junior high, right? <laughs> I was in college, uh, okay. and and I had never heard "I will I will bring you home. I will be your home." And it was the closer that night, and it absolutely again, like like about the song about faith, it just captured my heart um, that that home is assured for us, that there's a place for us when this life is over. But the turn in that song that we don't have to wait until glory that that Jesus is our home as we're as we're walking with him here and the sanctuary is within, man, that's just the real thing for me. Mm. Stephanie Seafeld, thank you. What a delight to talk with you today. Oh, you're mm. sweet. Thank you guys for having me. What fun. Though you are homeless, though you're alone, I will be your home. Whatever's the matter, Whatever's been done, I will be your home. I will be your home. I will.
this fearful and fallen place I will be your home When time reaches fullness When I move my hand I will bring you home Home to your own place In a beautiful land I will bring you home Beautiful. Mm. Mike, one of the benefits of this podcast is that we get to meet the people who impact your life, and today was a great example. Yeah, I, I think you can, uh, you can understand when, when, you, uh, when you hear Stephanie speak and hear her heart in terms of uh, worship and, and, and ministry. I mean, what a blessing uh, she is to the to community. And if you're listening to this podcast and you're a worship leader, you know, I just want to encourage you uh, in the same direction that uh, it's not about us, it's not about our gifts, it's about, it's always about Him. It's always about Him. Yeah. We've come to the end of this edition in the studio. If this hour has stirred you to go deeper in your walk with Christ, we hope you'll let us know. There's several ways to do this. Post a review of this podcast. You can pass along the link to a friend or email your reactions when you write in the studio at michaelcard.com. We look forward to reading your email. This podcast is made possible by our friends with the Christian Standard Bible. See all the ways that you can go deeper in God's Word when you visit csbible.com. And this month, we're highlighting the release of the new edition called the CSB Adorned Bible. This beautiful edition combines the current CSB translation with the classic depictions of Bible events from Gustave Doré's inspired wood engraved collection. Explore all that is available for you and use the 40% discount on CSB purchases at Lifeway. Just type CARD40 with no spaces for your 40% discount. The CSB Adorned Bible, a great translation with great art to aid your imagination as you read and meditate on what you read. It's available for you online at csbible.com. Now for Ron Davis, Susan Sermon, Lance Mansfield, and our producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for listening in on this session in the studio with Michael Carr.